You're listening to episode 103 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. and joining you again today. I know there's been an unexpected hiatus that I took and thank you for grace in allowing me that space. I will fill you in on what I've been up to at the end of this episode, but I am so excited to bring you more episodes in December and we're going to hang out together until the end of the year and I'm super excited for what I have in store. So today I am welcoming our friend and I think you're just going to love her. Her name is Jennifer Rothschild. Jennifer is a singer, songwriter, speaker, Bible study teacher, and author of over a dozen books including Lessons I Learned in the Dark, Self Talk, Soul Talk, God is Just Not Fair, Invisible, How You Feel is Not Who You Are, and her latest book entitled 66 Ways God Loves You. She also is the founder and host of the Fresh Grounded Faith Conferences, which are held in different parts of the country all throughout the year. Jennifer resides in Missouri with her family and loves thin crust veggie pizza, dark chocolate, coffee, interesting conversations, and reading books by dead authors, (laughs) including (laughs) C.S. Lewis and Jane Austen. She's also been known to get a little overzealous about the Antique Roadshow, American Idol, and Georgia Bulldog football. Jennifer, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Well, thank you. I am so glad. And I want you to know I'm glad I'm here, but I am resisting holding my cup of coffee and sipping the entire time we talk. We just discovered that our uh, magnificent microphones can um, let you in on all of our little sips. And so we are going to try to spare you from uh, our sipping noises, right? From the slurping. I don't think mine was a feminine sip. I think mine was a desperate slurp. So yes, we're going to spare our our new friends from that. I love it. Well, I was thrilled to read that you love American Idol too because – I have five kids and we have had a tradition the last few years that we record the American Idol shows and we watch it as a family. We try to catch it that night so we can devote, but it's Mm -hmm. so fun, isn't it? Especially as a singer. I know you're a singer. I um, have over the years been in choirs and led worship and it's so fun to watch, right? (laughs) Well, it is fun and I just love how real it is. You know, they're they're just ordinary people trying to do their thing. And of course, I love all the sweet stories that come from it, like Mandisa. Know. You know, I, I just love that. So, yeah, it's fun. But I think it's retired, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it was over. I think it's done. Yes, yeah, it's done. All good things. It's okay. We can grieve it and move on. I'm sure there'll <laughs> be no, right. new fun things. But, um, well, I know for you, God has done some amazing things in your life. But here on this show, we talk about the mud and the hard things and life as obviously beautiful as it is for you now. I'm sure there are places that you're still struggling through and there's mud that all of us face each and every day. I would love if you'd take us on a journey. I know we can't go through 
all of the mud of your life. But if you would take us back and maybe start with how you grew up, what that was like, and um, when some of your um, milestone muddy places kind of interjected in your story. Let's start there. Mm. Well, I love it, by the way. I love that, that you call it mud stories because <laughs> I, I still got dirt all over me. But here's the thing. <laughs> you know, when I think about mud, I'm, I'm an age, I have aging skin. And so I have actually a mud mask. And I, I use that, you know, to detox my skin and help keep it young. And so seriously, as I share with you some of my muddy moments, I really think of it just like what I use that mud mask for, for detoxing and cleansing. It really does refine us and make us more beautiful. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's not so much about the dirt as it, as it is about what God does through that. So, um, I grew up, you know, in a pastor's home. So I knew the things of Christ from being the time I was a very little girl, but, um, I was probably about 10 years old when really the truths of Christ became very personal to me. And um, I began to really understand who Jesus was and the nature of the gospel and how personal and radically life-changing it could be. So when I was 10, to the best of my understanding, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And he really did, even at the age of 10, change me. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that I saw that was um, my my love, my, my interest in how I was drawn to his word. I mean, I just really... I would, my grandmother gave me this little red leather Bible and every night before I go to bed, I would read the the Psalms. That's just where I always read Mm. and just precious to me. It was part of just my way of connecting with God. So the reason I share that is because of what happened when I was 15. Uh, When I turned 15, within just a few months of being a 10th grader, I was no longer able to read that red leather Bible. Mm. Um, I was no longer able to see off of a chalkboard. When I looked in the mirror, I couldn't see my face. There were just lots of changes that were occurring very rapidly. And the reason was because I had a disease called retinitis pigmentosa. Mm. Um, we didn't know it, though. You know, that was just like like when anyone has trouble with their eyesight, right? They go to the eye doctor, you get eyeglasses. So I had done that a few times, and it just got to the point where, you know, when, when it was time to change classes, you know, at school, the bell would ring and I would just have this wave of anxiety that I had to change classes because I was constantly bumping into students because I couldn't see them and I couldn't figure out how everyone else was so graceful, right? So I'm walking with my mom one night and we're going to visit a friend who lives in an upset, uh, upstairs apartment. So as we're climbing the stairs, I was tripping and my mom um, stops and said, Jennifer, can you not see the stairs? And I was so um, surprised. I said, what do you mean? You can see the stairs? I mean, I just thought I was clumsy and everyone else could somehow walk gracefully and do stairs and catch balls and read off a chalkboard. So anyway, any mom who's listening knows exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. My mom was on the phone with the eye doctor and it was within a few days I was at an eye hospital. And that's where they... After several days of testing, that's where the doctors diagnosed that I had this disease. And so what it meant, Jackie, was that my retinas were deteriorating. And so um, I was declared legally blind. That's why I couldn't see off of a chalkboard or or read out of a textbook or like stairs, um, dimly lit hallways, everything. I had no contrast vision, no depth perception, night blindness. 
Um, just, How scary you, that must have been. It was I mean, scary. as a child, it, an adolescent, I mean, you didn't really know what normal was supposed to be. So, and I'm right. guessing it was gradually deteriorating. So, I mean, it rapidly, but still gradual, right? Right, right. Gradually for me. I mean, looking mm-hmm. at it now at age 52, when I look back and I think, wow, that <laughs> happened probably within six months. That was fast. Yeah. But when you're 15 and it's so gradual, um, yeah, I really thought I was normal, but just really clumsy and inadequate. Um, so really when the doctors explained this disease to my folks and to me, we were sitting like in this conference room and I was declared legally blind. But when they explained the disease, they said that, um, the, a lot of my retinas had already deteriorated. That's why I was legally blind, but the same kind of deterioration would continue to occur over many years. They couldn't really say how many, but um, cause it's different with everybody, but and when eventually the disease had finally done its thing and my retinas were fully deteriorated, uh, that meant the prognosis was total blindness, mm. you know? So that's not what we expected that day. Did that news absorb, I mean, did you grasp that at 15, <sighs> 16? I mean, well, I think it had to have been, I think my dad and mom and I all processed it very differently according Mm -hmm. to our maturity, um, and life experience. So we did have, which is interesting, um, a identical and identical response and it was silence. That's what I remember Mm -hmm. in the conference room when the doctors explained that. And I asked my mom and dad later, I said, this is what I remember. Is this what you remember? And they did. It was like, Nobody said anything. I mean, eventually my dad just muttered a, okay, thank you, you know, and we, mm-hmm. and we made our way out. But it was like that blindness. I think it's one of those words mm-hmm. um, like like autism or cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the kind of word that falls to the deepest part mm-hmm. of your soul. And it dislodges everything that was once secure and predictable. Um, it just left us all silent. And so... We got in the car to drive home. It was We lived in Miami, Florida, and the eye hospital was about 45 minutes from our home. So long, silent drive home. Mm. Nobody talked. And I remember sitting in the back seat, and I could see the back of my daddy's head, and I could see his hand on the steering wheel. And, uh, you know, I said earlier my dad was my pastor, and so he always had scripture. He always had an explanation. Mm. He always had a comforting word and he was silent. And I so can understand that now as I am a parent, what he must've been praying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, dads, men in general, they're looking to fix it, right? Yeah. Surely there's gotta be another way there. I got, there's something else we can do about this. Um, my mom was sitting to his right. And I remember looking at the back of her head. I don't have to tell any woman here in my voice what she must have been feeling, mom or not. Mm-hmm. Women are just wired, right, for nurture and mm-hmm. protection. And I know her prayers, um, Lord, let it be me, you know, um, that fear that if even just one tear escaped her eye, she might not get her composure back. Yeah. I remember sitting in the back seat and um, feeling the my fingertips and wondering if I would have to read Braille and 
you know, just a million questions, far more questions Mm -hmm. than answers. Mm -hmm. And anytime darkness happens in our lives, no matter what it is, it usually has a lot more questions than answers. Yeah. Well, and I'm guessing whoever it is, our friends listening today have their own crushing experience that's happened to them. And I can identify with the immediate reaction of just the silence of being overwhelmed and just not even knowing what to say. The beginning of a grieving process that will likely happen for years and years to come, no matter what happens in our situations. What did you find was helpful moving forward from there because when we get crushing news we Mm. can react to it in different ways some ways helpful some ways not so helpful to ourselves (laughs) and to others right so right well I think when you get that phone call from the doctor or or from a police officer or a spouse comes in and says I don't love you anymore I mean there's just a million things that just totally crush us and they drop to the bottom of our soul. And and there is that silence. It's almost like a, a soul silence. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're overwhelmed. So, so what do you do with it? You know, I, um, I was a psychology major, so I could come up with a list of the three ways to handle bad news, right? <laughs> if I wanted to. <laughs> right. Such cerebral knowledge you would impart. <laughs> exactly. I could do that. But I, I think that, um, when you get crushing news, um, you just need to be, not do. Mm. And I think that's what happened with me um, and my folks. So when we get home, you know, it's the silent ride home. Nobody says anything. I know everybody's praying and processing and feeling and thinking and the whole deal. But when we got inside, I went in um, and I immediately sat down at our old upright piano. My mom had bought it at a garage sale when I was in the third grade. And so um, (laughs) I had had a couple of years of piano lessons, but I am not going to pretend I was not a good pianist. Okay. I could barely sight read out of the key of C. (laughs) And that was when I could see, right? Right. So um, this day when I came in from the hospital, I sat at the piano and Jackie, I, I, I just began to play the piano and I couldn't see, of course, any sheet music or the hymnals from which I used to play. Mm-hmm. But um, I began to play um, by ear. And I played a song I had never played before because, truthfully, it had been written in a key that was too difficult for me. Mm-hmm. But on that day, I began to play it, and I understood what I was doing in a way I had never understood before. And I am convinced that God, in all of his mercy, um, allowed a door to open there even though he had allowed one to close at an eye hospital, he allowed one to open right there in that piano because um, I played by ear. But I, I think the real miracle is not that I played the piano, but the real miracle is what I played and what it represented. And this is what I mean about just being, mm-hmm. just being who you are in your sorrow. The song that the Lord gave me to play that day was that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Mm-hmm. And I was only 15. I didn't really know if it was well with my soul, but my faith knew it was. And sometimes when we're at the bottom of ourselves, totally overwhelmed, and when we feel crushed, that's when Jesus stands up tall in us. And and you almost feel this sense of, you know what? It may not be okay. It may never be okay again, but I will be okay. And I am convinced that God on that day truly, out of such severe mercy, Um, taught me 
well, I call it the greatest lesson I've learned in the dark. And it is this, that it doesn't have to be well with your circumstances for it to be well with your soul. And sometimes you just have to feel it and let the process happen and go ahead and shed the tears and feel confused and recognize you don't have to do anything and you don't have to have the answers because sometimes um, the real answer is just God himself and his presence and him reminding you that he's with you and it's going to be well with your soul. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So good. And that applies to so many things, not only personal, physical diagnoses, but job loss and relationship mm you know, brokenness. And I mean, even to the political situations that we face, <laughs> right. you know, right. um, crushing news does not have to ruin us. It doesn't have to be the end. And that's what's so inspiring about the message that you live each and every day. Now, I have to take a sidebar here. And because mm. I, and this may seem trivial, but I just I know that you're willing to answer whatever we'll ask. So oh, I'm sure. just going to ask, um, mm-hmm. w- like, how do you practically maneuver your blindness? Because there are, I mean, every picture I've seen of you, you are meticulously groomed. You look stunning. <laughs> you um, you play the piano. You sing. You uh, coordinated connecting with me through emails and writing mm-hmm. and Skype and all of these things. So do tell us. Do tell us practically, (laughs) just girlfriend to girlfriend, how does this Uh, actually work? Well, girlfriend to girlfriend, let's just say that (laughs) anybody who's got their picture on the web probably has had somebody doctor it up for them. So um, I do do, um, put on my own makeup in normal life. But when you see a picture of me, I can guarantee you a professional has put on my makeup. (laughs) So I'm not taking any credit for that. But um, But even putting it on yourself on every day, in every day ways, like that's incredible. Well, I do it, Jackie, through um, counting. So, like, I know how many times to blush my brush blush on my blush palette and then wear on my cheekbone to do so. And the same works for mascara and lipstick. So, um, so as long as I don't lose count, I come out pretty cute, you know. But if I lose count, <laughs> it ain't very pretty. <laughs> but um, I do walk with a cane. I use a cane to help me get around. All of my technology, like my iPhone, Um, I use accessibility settings on it. So I use voiceover. So it talks to me, Mm. um, my computer, my laptop, I have a software on it called jaws and that helps it to read to me. And so that's how I write my books and blogs. Um, so there's just a million things that, that, um, are available that I can use to help me, you know, function at the level that I want to. And I'm so grateful for that. I mean, but bottom line, no matter who the person is, no matter what the availability is, um, there's, there's days when, um, I'm just tired and it doesn't matter how, how much I have access to. If I don't have access to the fruit of the spirit that gives me what I need to take the next step and do the next right thing, nothing I have available to me is going to help. So, you know, I, this, if you got to be blind, this is not a bad time to be blind because there's a whole <laughs> lot of stuff available. But the good thing is, no matter what somebody's dealing with, we have full access to the truth of Philippians 4.13. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do all things, not mm-hmm. just the things that we're good at, not just the things we feel comfortable with. We can do all things through Christ and not through ourselves, but through Christ because he really 
does strengthen us. Yeah. Well, and not not only can we do all things, but we can do them well in in very vibrant and colorful descriptions. I love how you wrote on your blog about the app that you have that tells you <laughs> the colors because tell them about that because there was a lesson in that that was so Yeah, it's good so for all cool. So there's this app called uh, Color Identifier. And what I do is I, I just, you know, open the app and then I hold it up toward something, whatever, my jacket, the wallpaper, whatever. And the app then will tell me what color it sees. But instead of it just being like boring, like brown, red, it does this cool thing like warm cinnamon or burnt umber or <laughs> chocolate milk or what I mean yeah so, so, so it's not just brown it's these beautiful nuance shades and so I you know I'm convinced that we've got that in us like mm-hmm. we can look at our life and we can say oh man it's just dark or we can mm-hmm. say "Ooh, it's like a Chicago sky mm-hmm. it's like black midnight. It's, I mean, we can see beyond and within something that might seem ordinary or even bleak. And we can see how God's colored it with grace. If our eyes are grateful, we're able to see the grace and the shades of God's grace that are within everything that we look at. And truly that kind of, um, perspective has really been something God has given me in blindness. I don't know that I would have had it otherwise. And I'm super grateful for that because it makes the dark far less dark. Yeah. And isn't that interesting about how God uses our suffering to bring those kinds of things about, you know, things we never would have maybe learned. I mean, maybe we would have, but yeah, but maybe know, but not. Yeah. yeah. And so I'd love for you to tell us how your ministry began, because I know you went to college you mm-hmm. met your husband, but you, mm-hmm. and then you started a ministry, and it started as a singer, right? Singer, yeah, songwriter, yeah. and then into writing. For those people who feel crushed by circumstances or feel like God could never bring anything good out of what they're facing today, um, your ministry God has blessed you with, the, the ways you serve the world today are directly rooted in um, your suffering and what happened mm. with you. Um, how did that all begin? Well, I think that's so cool of God and he does that for all of us. Um, I know. So yeah, it really began because someone asked me when I was in high school, Hey, um, you know, would you share your story? I was in this group called the new life singers and we went to (laughs) churches and civic organizations. And so the director said, would you, he asked me if I would share my story. And I said, yeah, well, I had written a song. And so I said to my friend, Lisa, oh, I want you to hear this song. And she heard my song. She said, you need to let Mr. Parker hear that song. And Mr. Parker heard that song. And Mr. Parker said, after you share your story, I want you to sing that song. Well, Jackie, I had never sung a solo in my life. (laughs) I had no intention to sing a solo. But from that very small beginning, that's how God built Mm -hmm. a ministry. I'm convinced that what he's allowed in my life is something that I've received. Mm -hmm. It is not something I have achieved. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, in writing songs that led to singing and doing concerts and then leading worship and then um, sharing my story different places. And, you know, your your first hint when you're a singer-songwriter that you might need to be a speaker is when the introductions to your songs last longer than the songs <laughs> themselves. So <laughs> oh, um, God so just good. began to open doors for me to speak and then uh, write books and 
here's what's so beautiful about that is, you know, it's from the broken pieces that God, he got, God takes all those broken pieces. Mm-hmm. Like for my life, it was blindness. Um, and all the talk about hopelessness. You know, I wanted to be an artist. That's the only thing I was good at when I was in high school. And then suddenly I can't see anymore. I can't be an artist. I think I've got nothing. And God says, no, this is a blank slate for me to begin all over again and give you something you never dreamed of. Mm. It truly is from that adversity that Mm -hmm. we dread that God might be giving us the life we have always longed for. So, you know, if someone listening to us is part of this conversation and they've got like, well, my life is crushed and I've got brokenness and my marriage ended or my child was born with this situation and they feel crushed and like their life is in a million broken pieces, well, then they've got something beautiful to give to God Mm -hmm. because he can, he can put it all back together again. And it may look very different than it looked like when we started off, but it'll be exactly what it's supposed to look like. And so broken pieces should never be um, a cue to us that it's over and we're in despair. Instead, it should be uh, something that reminds us that, hey, this is a new beginning. I don't know what it's going to look like, but God is in the business of repairing and putting back together broken things. And he always makes things beautiful. Mm -hmm. He does. And yet, practically speaking, it can be a challenge when you feel like you're at the bottom and you're being crushed. So would you share with us a few maybe tips or insights or pieces of wisdom you've picked up along Mm. the way as, because blindness has not been the only thing you've faced. Oh, law, no. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So what are some practical how-tos that you've maybe lived or experienced or written about that Mm -hmm. um, when we feel like we're in that place that we're crushed and we really want to have hope and we want to believe that these broken pieces can be made beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. How do we put one step in front of the other and actually do that in our 24 hour day? Well, I think I'd say a couple of things. One, you, um, you become a participant in the process rather than a spectator or a victim. Okay. So here's what I mean by that. Um, A few years ago, I took, a class with wheel thrown pottery. And I happened to be in a really dark spot. I was really, I, I never experienced depression before, but I was so depressed. And I had, you know, gone to the doctor and I had just done all the things you need to do. And so my husband says to me, I think you'd love this. Let's, let's take wheel thrown pottery. So I start this class and I'm loving it. Right. And so I get back from my second or third class and I'm standing in the kitchen with mud all over my jeans. And I, I said, um, you know, I just know the Lord's teaching me something, but I, I can't figure it out, you know, because there's so many things in scripture about how God is the potter and we are the clay. Mm -hmm. And as I was rubbing the mud off of my jeans, I realized in this depression, in my blindness, He's giving me an opportunity to participate with him as the potter and mold the clay that is my depression, Mm -hmm. that is my blindness. In other words, I can participate in the process of making something beautiful out of this instead of just sitting and waiting and moping and crying and being afraid or being a victim or just sitting and waiting for God to do something. I can get my hands dirty in the process and say, I'm going to squeeze and I'm going to hold on and I'm going to be convinced that this is going to make something beautiful. Now, within that decision, though, then there becomes this process 
that I've learned from my dad. My dad has done, dealt with chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And so when he says this to me, it weighs a lot. He has always told me, Jennifer, be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with the process. And be patient with God. So, so again, I'm referring to the be instead of the do. Because before you can do anything, you got to be who and where God wants you to be. So being patient with yourself realizes that this is really an act of grace. I'm just going to be patient with me, with my failure. If I get mad, if I lose my temper, if I burst into tears, if I don't want to get out of bed, it's okay. Be patient with myself. Be patient with the process. And, and be patient with God. In other words, instead of demanding that his, that his will becomes your will and it's done according to your timetable, mm-hmm. you're patient with God, that he really has your best interest at heart. And when you're kind of in that posture of participating in the process and being patient in the process and being patient with God and yourself, then I believe you can start to make some practical choices. And for me, it always begins in the way I think, because, you know, Mm. our, our thoughts will always influence our feelings and our actions. So for me, because I can be an Eeyore sometimes, um, (laughs) I have to remind myself um, how to phrase things like, for example, I don't have to do anything. I get to do things. Mm. makes such a difference Mm -hmm. in my willingness to try. Uh, I have to remind myself that it is God, and this is scripture, of course, Philippians, it is God who works in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I have to remind myself, think biblically about things. It is not Jennifer who works within me to make everything perfect. No, it is God who works within me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, Another thing that I've learned to do, because I'm such a type A, want to get it done driven kind of girl, (laughs) I I have had to learn that, um, that I need to just be honest, that maybe my capacity is not the same as someone else who has cited. And instead of working harder or even working smarter, I just need to let God work within me and be honest about um, what my capacity is and being okay with that. Um, when I'm when I'm when I struggled with depression, I learned, boy, if, if if I'm not honest about this, I'll never be free from it. Um, that that God works really more within our weaknesses than he does within our strengths. And I think that's why Paul said most gladly, therefore, that's why I'm going to boast in my weakness. So I've learned over the years with blindness that if I can just rest in my weakness, then then God's strength is made perfect. So, you know, whatever somebody's dealing with, I know I just gave a boatload there, but whatever someone is dealing with, I really believe that we don't, we weren't designed to be happy by ourselves mm-hmm. or to struggle by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need a buddy. Sometimes things get really serious and we need a professional buddy, a Christian counselor. Yeah. But all the time we need a buddy who can walk with us and um, just listen and love us. And then we can become the buddy who can also listen and love. Because when we start carrying someone else's burden, mm-hmm. ours gets a lot lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're not the only problem we're aware of, our problem doesn't seem so big. So Walking with someone in community is always the first step of healing and being healthy 
when you're in a dark situation or feeling crushed. I love that because it's so true to give is not having our eyes on our own self and our own pain, but learning and yearning and longing to serve what it is that other person needs. And if they do the same for us, then we're, you know, that's the beauty that God created community to be. And yet when those people who love us the most, like for example, your mom in her Mm -hmm. reaction to your diagnosis as an adolescent and then through, through the years of, Even watching the beauty that God's brought from the broken pieces that felt so crushing in the beginning, you Mm -hmm. do talk about this participant grace versus spectator grace. Yeah. And how can we, those of us who are watching someone we love, receive a crushing circumstance or something that seems insurmountable or overwhelming? Can you speak to that? Because some of us, it's not our own mud we're walking in the moment in this season, but our burden is heavy for someone we love. Sometimes, Jackie, I think that's even harder. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, I was even just with my mom and uh, I I had a, you know, I've been blind now longer than I was sighted. And when I was with her, I fell and I know I could just feel how deeply that bothered her. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course it bothered me, but in a very different way. And I think that's how it is when you love somebody and you have to watch them struggle. And and that's why I talk about what I call participant grace. You know, I've got the grace. God's given me full participant grace to be blind. All that I need, his grace is sufficient. But my mom has to watch or anyone who's listening who loves somebody and they have to, they're a caregiver perhaps, and they just feel like they can't fix it. They can't make it go away. Mm-hmm. And, and it burdens them so and it breaks their heart that's they've got just enough grace to watch I call it spectator grace of course this is not in the bible but (laughs) this is just what I call it um but here's what I would say to the person who's watching someone whom they love suffer the burden that you feel for that person is probably far greater than the burden that they carry Because God has given them that participant grace. He's absorbing it. He's carrying it with them. But you're having to watch. And you, you know, you know how many times you've been told if you struggle or you've said about someone who you love and you watch them struggle, you say, I just can't imagine Mm -hmm. how they do that. Yes. Well, you're, you're right. You can't. You can't. And so you, you invest so much into that imagination of how hard it must be, how terrible but the person who's actually struggling is living in the reality of it and God's carrying them and giving them that sufficient participant grace. So those of us who have to watch, we just need to rest in the grace that God's given, even if it's spectator grace, because his grace Mm -hmm. truly is sufficient. Right. And you would never want your mom to feel bad for you or feel sorry for you or feel um, responsible for you. You just want her to love you and be with you, I would imagine. Right. Right. In fact, I would feel worse if I felt like this was burdening, burdening her. Right. And so I think of any situation when someone we love is suffering, whether it's someone in our personal family, like in the situation we're talking about with you, or whether it's our brothers and sisters of diversity in the world, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's it's having a surrendered posture to say, 
I may not understand the participant grace you've been given, and I may not ever be able to imagine handling it like you're handling it, but I'm going to receive the grace God's given me to be not only a spectator, but a partner with you in community, Mm. you know, surrendered to a posture of listening and loving and really wanting to be in it with you, even though I may not understand I think it's true. I love it. I love that. Well, you know, Jackie, too, what that does is it takes the risk. Sometimes we feel that level of, oh, I can't imagine because we want to fix it Mm -hmm. and we can't fix it and we're not called to fix it. And you're right. When we get in this posture of just listening and loving, then we're not trying to fix it. Instead, we're really freed up to really just love and receive and and help ourselves plus whoever it is we're loving and trying to help help both of us focus our prayer on Jesus instead of trying to fix the problem. Right, right. Because he's got everything under control, even when it feels like we have doubt. And I, I know this is something that has been a muddy place for you. You wrote an entire book about it entitled God is just not fair finding hope when life doesn't make sense. And I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about that because I think this is a very real point in each and every one of our walks of faith. There's that moment where whatever, you know, instigates the doubt or puts that little pebble in our shoe, it's something all of us have to wrestle through and deal with and come to terms with. And yet your previous writings about self-talk and soul talk and how we um, are kind to our own selves and the internal conversations we have with ourselves, remembering who we are from God's word, it all melds together. And I'd love for you to help us walk through that if we're facing doubt today in our Mm. faith because of things that have happened to us or because of what we might see happening in the world. Um, I know you have wisdom to speak to this. Well, I don't know how much wisdom. I definitely have some experience, though. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's the thing. You know, all of us can look at, you know, next door or on the news or on the internet or in our own lives. And there's people that suffer. Mm -hmm. There's things that happen that we can look at and go, what, what in the world? Mm -hmm. That's just not fair. And ultimately, if we believe that God is sovereign and he's got this thing, then it doesn't take long before that phrase becomes God, you're just not fair. Mm -hmm. How do you let this happen? How do you let children suffer? How could that have happened? Um, And the reason I titled the book, God is Just Not Fair, because it captures the emotion that we feel God is just not fair. Mm -hmm. But it also states the truth that God is just, comma, not Mm -hmm. fair. In other words, he, he is righteous and he is right. And he's not fair. And he will not always, the things he allows will not always seem fair to us. But because of his righteousness, because he is right in all of his ways, um, we, we can come to a place of moving from a closed fist of anger or doubt to an open hand of receiving that which we don't understand. Okay. I, I think it's Psalm 18, verse 30, that says, as for God, his ways are perfect. And quite honestly, they don't look perfect and they don't feel perfect. Right. But I think that's where we move um, into a place of faith and we say, okay, God, um, like the, like the guy in the new Testament, you know, I want to believe, 
I do believe help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And that's basically where my book came from. I tackle these six big questions of faith, like, God, do you care? You know, children are suffering. Do you care? God, my friend was healed and I'm not. Are you fair? God, you know, how can you be good and everything be so bad in this world? God, do you, do you make mistakes? You know, God, I've been praying for 20 years and this is still happening. God, do you hear prayer? Mm -hmm. There's these very real questions of faith that we all experience. And, you know, for me, it came from, I went through a season of, of true depression and doubt. And I went from, you know, I've loved Jesus my whole life and I've really trusted him and I've studied the Bible. I've not just swallowed things, hook, line and sinker, but suddenly it didn't feel right to me anymore. It didn't seem real. Mm -hmm. I started questioning the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't take long for me to start questioning the existence of God. And then it didn't take long for me to doubt the deity of Christ. And then I wasn't real sure that God's word was really trustworthy. But here's the thing, Jackie, the whole time I was going down this deeply dark um, pit, there was this thing in me that knew, like I would pray, God, I don't know if you're real, but I'm hoping you're real because I'm hoping you're hearing me. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if your word's true, but I'm going to trust it because I need it to be. Mm -hmm. It was so, so unmoored. And so here's something interesting God did for me. Um, I, I began to read some C.S. Lewis because I knew enough about him to know he was an atheist mm -hmm. and, and that he really then, you know, basically became a, a deist. He converted to this recognition that God does exist. And then he transitioned after a few years and he finally came to a place of true faith where he believed in Christ, received Christ. And then his whole world opened up. Mm -hmm. And so I told God, who I wasn't really sure was listening to me, <laughs> um, I know I can't believe you right this minute, but help me to follow him, C.S. Lewis, for just a few books, help him to guide me, mm -hmm. to, to help me understand you better. And God used C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. to help me come back to faith in him and in his reality and into the truth that he really is good and that he is just even when he doesn't seem fair, mm -hmm. and that I can put my whole trust in him. And so I think all of us, if we're thinking individuals, and it may show up in different ways mm -hmm. for different people, but all of us can have a question mark. You know, faith yes. sometimes is in the shape of a question mark, but that's okay because faith is ultimately in the shape of a cross. And when you look at the cross, Jesus, who was perfect, died for my sin. He did not deserve to die. That is completely unfair that Jesus died. So I'm grateful that God is perfect and just and not fair, because if he were fair, I wouldn't have the freedom to doubt him. He is so merciful. He is mm. so kind that when we do wobble on this walk of faith, he really does sturdy us and steady us and carry us and ultimately he drew me back to what was my true foundation, mm -hmm. which was the absolute reliability of his word and the kindness and love of his son. I love that. And I, what I love about it is that there are so many people who suffer in silence having doubts and wondering, do I have to check my intellect at the door in order <laughs> to follow Christ? Um, right. And faith seems kind of 
vague and fuzzy sometimes. And we don't have, you know, we like things just laid out. Some of us, our personalities, Mm -hmm. we like Mm -hmm. the boxes to be all checked and everything all organized and neat. And faith isn't like that. Um, And C.S. Lewis, you mentioned him. His his books are incredible. Another person that I've personally learned from has been Lee Strobel and his mm. his incredible work through his books as well. And um, there are resources out there that we can actually look into apologetics and God can use those truths to help us understand better we may never completely understand no but enough to be able to trust just like we trust that the wind blows and that the sun comes (laughs) up you know and all the things that um that are in our world Uh, I know underneath it all though what you and so many who do online ministry and in real life ministry at conferences your great desire is for us to really absorb the great love of god and yeah. and his mercy and his grace that is really relentless and i know that is what your latest book is about helping us understand 66 ways God loves us as we look in each book of the Bible and are reminded because really we have to tell ourselves and have good self-talk to ourselves to be able to remind ourselves who God says we are and we find Mm -hmm. that in his word so I'd love for you to share a little bit about this project and how it can help us as we maneuver our crushing news depression Mm -hmm. our hard things that we're facing how can this project help us to be refocused? Well, I love that question because the whole reason I wrote this was because truly when we're at the bottom of ourselves, when life hits us hard, we can start to feel like God doesn't like us. He doesn't see us. He doesn't love us. He doesn't know us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're worth nothing. And truly our worth is found in God's word. I mean, when I was in my darkest places, it was truly His word, sure, God used C.S. Lewis to get me back there again, but it was truly his word that gave me my sense of equilibrium and Mm -hmm. sense of value again. Um, I think it's Psalm 119, like verse 90-something, 92 maybe. Um, The psalmist says, "If, if your instruction, if your law, speaking to God, was not my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Mm. And that is so true for me. And that's why I wrote the book. Because it truly has been God's word that has been my light. And so, you know, what I see is that there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do I read? And and it's so intimidating. And and how in the world could Leviticus tell me that I'm somebody to God? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it can be so intimidating. It feels so inaccessible. So what I've done is I've gone through every book of the Bible. And in a very short, devotional, just like two pages I explain what that book of the Bible is about and how it uniquely expresses God's love for us. And so what it does is it not only reminds us that through every page, through every chapter, we were on God's mind, but it also gives those of us who may be a little intimidated by the Bible an opportunity to feel less intimidated. Mm -hmm. It it can make scripture seem more accessible so that if you read 66 ways God loves you, then you're like, wait a minute, I think I want to read the Bible now. And I want to find who I am in the pages of scripture. And I want to have victory over the darkness. I want to be able to walk in the light. And um, 
it just thrills me because if there's one thing I care about, one thing that has rescued me in my whole life, it has been God's word. And I would love to make that a reality in other people's lives too. Yeah, I love I love that. And I think it would be a good companion, a good starting point to really dive into scripture ourselves. Um, I know for me, it wasn't until age 38 that I finally uh, read through God's word for the very first time. And it was mm-hmm. a life-changing experience. But I have to say, reading it chronologically was so powerful because it read Ugh. like a novel. I mean, who needs our news when you have Genesis, you know? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so much scandal in there. And um, through the years, I've helped um, other ladies be pointed towards a chronologically um, organized Bible reading plan. And I just... I think it's just we have to find something that gets you excited and passionate about getting in there and hearing what God has to say to you personally. And yeah. uh, I love that this is a tool for that. Um, well, in closing, Jennifer, I would love if you would share just a little bit for the writers that might be listening in the audience. Um, it sounds like the messages that you've written about through the years have been messages that you've lived and that... Um, live through to the point that you could help us learn from what you've learned. What tips or advice or maybe some ways that you set aside time to be reflective and to write and to record what God's doing in you so that we could do that too? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, even if someone's not a writer, writer, um, all of us can be um, very present in Mm -hmm. our lives. Recorders, and journal yes. and record it exactly. Um, for me personally, there's not one thing I've written, not one blog, not one book that I have not first lived a long time, mm-hmm. lived that truth because um, I don't feel that it would be fair to the message for me to write something I've heard about. That makes me a reporter. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to author something, I need to really have lived it and know it. And most of the time, I'm carrying it around in my heart and in my head. And if I'm not completely focused on something at a moment, my mind will immediately go right back to what it is I've been meditating on Mm -hmm. and focusing on. I am always, um, therefore, taking notes, like in my iPhone, and then I'll email them to myself. And I, in a very practical way, once I begin to accumulate a lot of um, notes about what it is I think I'm learning and writing and living, um, I'll notice that some themes begin to develop. Mm. And then quite practically, I'll start to create folders based on broad themes. And I'll start dumping these individual files into the folders. And then eventually, the more I'm living it, working it, and writing it, I realize these themes are suddenly kind of morphing into chapters. Mm. And so I think that process... Um, I know some people do it very differently. Authors, they come up with this great title and they build a book. <laughs> yes. Y'all, the hardest thing for me to do is finally come up with the title. Mm. <laughs> I wish I could do that. But I put more, you know, I start maybe from the back end and go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just the way I do it. But personally, I think um, I have met many ladies who will say, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. And they've never written anything. And they're waiting for the moment to sit down and write a book. And mm-hmm. to write a book means you live your life and you're recorded every day. Mm-hmm. So writers write, you know. So anyone who is a writer among us, even if it's 15 minutes a day, that daily discipline of writing um, is what helps us become a writer and a message bearer. Uh, I'll tell you this one last thing. An editor told me one time, 
he had worked with Thomas Kincaid. You remember the late artist? Yes, yes. And they had um, published a book of Thomas Kincaid's art. And so this editor friend of mine said, I was asking him, because he's such a prolific artist, how do you get inspired? You know, you show up in your studio. Mm-hmm. How do you know what you're going to paint every day? How do you, you, how do you stay inspired? And he said, oh, I don't. He said, I just show up and stand in front of that canvas. And I expect that if I show up, inspiration mm-hmm. will too. Mm-hmm. And so I've cool. always trusted that. Lord, I'm going to show up and be disciplined to do what you've called me to do. And I expect then you will meet me with the content, the inspiration, or whatever it is mm-hmm. I need. So good. So good. And I love that you use technology to do that. I mean, I'm imagining mm-hmm. we could even find our voice recorder on our phone and leave ourselves a voice message and have it emailed to us Absolutely. or whatever, you know? Absolutely. And, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? Sky's the limit. Absolutely. And if nothing else, just to be able to read through at the end of the year all the ways that we've been learning, that God's been teaching us. Um, can you imagine how powerful that would be to just sit on January 1st and read through all I the know. ways God has worked in those in those prayers and in those ways of, of learning? I, I love I love that. Yeah. Um, help us know where to find you online and how we can um, connect with you maybe at a conference. You have so many of them. Um, yeah, I'd so love tell that. us about all of that. Well, the first and easiest place to find me is my website, jenniferrothchild.com. Rothschild has a sneaky little S in it. So it's Jennifer and then Rothschild is R-O-T-H-S-C-H-I-L-D.com. So you can find me there and that'll link you to everything else you'd ever want to know, like where you could um, come to a fresh grounded faith conference, which is our conferences. And those are all across the U.S. And it's not just me. I do the Bible teaching, but I always have the perfect girlfriend blend. So we have like <laughs> Lara Starry and Stormy Martian and Liz Curtis Higgs and Angela Thomas and um, Miss Miss Clara from the War Room. She has been at our Fresh Grounded Faith. So it's really a special uh, time. Um, but then, of course, as is everyone else, I am on Facebook. So yes. you can find me on Facebook, too. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been such a delight to get to talk with you. And Sincerely, thank you for sharing such encouragement for us for when we're going through hard things. I know it's it's so needed, so, so very needed. So sending much love to you and blessings on all that you do. Well, thank you, Jackie, to you too and to your listeners. Bless you. I'm so thankful for her. I'm just, I hope that you were inspired and that some of the wisdom and insight that she had to share helps you with whatever it is you're facing today. You know, so many of us have varied um, degrees of suffering that we're facing, or maybe you are in need of spectator grace, like she talked about. Maybe God is giving you participant grace with whatever it is that you're walking through. Um, But my hope always with each and every episode is that whatever muddy place that you're experiencing right now, that you would have, you know, an hour or so where you would take a breather and be reminded that God is with you and he loves you and that he has a plan and there is nothing beyond his ability to redeem. And so I hope that you were um, given a little spot of hope today in listening to Jennifer and her insight and wisdom. 
Oh, I have so much to share with you, and I don't even know where to begin, but I'll start by saying I did not expect to take a break in November. It caught me by surprise as well as I started evaluating. You know, I get into planning mode as the holidays come. You know, there's so many things to do logistically with our families and our schedules, but also I try to really look ahead and, and evaluate what I anticipate for goals and aspirations in the next year that's coming, 2017. And also reviewing and looking back at what had happened in 2016. And as I started doing that, I realized that my soul really needed to take a break. It needed a rest. And, you know, I regret not communicating that to you more. It sort of seemed like I dropped off the face of the earth. I understand that. Um, But there are seasons, and especially I found after podcasting for two years in a row, I just, my soul needed a break. And so um, thank you for Grace in extending that break to me. Some of you were so sweet and reached out and asked, you know, is is the show ending? Is there going to be mud stories anymore? And Yes, I can assure you, there is going to be the Mud Stories podcast. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I have, um, you know, at least two more shows for you coming this month. Uh, I am super excited about that, especially for next week. And so um, we're going to just end 2016 together, walking through some mud and getting some hope and inspiration from those people who are gracious enough to join me here in this place. Um, But I don't know if you listen to any other shows. I know for me, um, there are podcasts that I've been listening to for years that um, have gone to a sponsorship model. As some of you may or may not know, it is not free for me to produce this show, for me to, you know, gather interviews, to read books, to record all the monthly fees that are charged for hosting the audio and, and running the blog and all the things cost money. And for for, you know, these two years, I have been for free delivering this content to you week after week, bringing you um, inspirational shows. And that is my heart to serve in that way. Uh, it's I'm creating the kind of show that I would want to listen to each and every week. And I hope that it meets you in the most real and raw and vulnerable places. But all that to say, it is not free. And so in this time that I've spent um, in November and the beginning part of this month of December, I've been evaluating how is it that I could support this show? I mean, other than you all donating to my cause, which I know is you know, something you could choose to do, but it certainly wouldn't be tax deductible for you or anything like that. And so I, I really have been hesitant to gather sponsorship for the show and have sort of like commercials or uh, any sort of thing where I'm interrupting the interview in the middle of the show. And I just, I've really struggled with, with that because I've had opportunities to sign on sponsors for the show, but I just haven't really wanted to break it up like that. I wanted to give you an uninterrupted um, experience with whoever our guest is. Sometimes it's hard when we're getting into the interview and getting into the deep part of the mud. It gets really vulnerable and raw and I just didn't want it to be glitchy and interruptive. And and yet I have struggled with how do I logistically support the cost of this show because it's not free. And the time that I spend producing it, the time that I invest in it is time away from my family. And anyway, I've been really wrestling with what it is I can do to really 
really helps support this ministry and this effort that I bring to you each and every week. And so some of you may have heard episode 102 with my friend Edie Wadsworth. She told her amazing story of her memoir, All the Pretty Things. And at the end, she and I had a discussion about essential oils. Now, you need to know as a registered nurse and a sciencey person with a degree in biology, I have not paid attention to essential oils. I thought they were like little candles. I thought that they were like companies like that. And there was nothing that I wanted to do with anything like that. And so for years, I had been ignoring them. Although I have to admit, I was sort of addicted to the smell of lavender. So I would go to all these little, you know, stores and buy these random like brands of lavender or peppermint or whatever. um, Because I just I'm a smells kind of girl. I love smells. I love lotions. I love perfumes. I just all of that. Candles. I was totally a candle junkie, was being the key word. Anyway, um, Edie, out of my desperate health need, and maybe sometime I will do a show just only about that, but I had a health need, and because she was my friend and because she was a doctor, I trusted her, and I confided in her what I was struggling with, and that's when she shared with me about essential oils. And because she was a physician, I trusted her and went out on a limb and purchased my very own starter kit with Young Living Essential Oils. And the last three months, primarily last month especially, I have really taken a detour in exploring what it looks like for Young Living to actually be the resource to support this ministry. And there's nothing more than I would love to share with you about that. And I think in the coming new year, I really want, my vision is that I'd love to, you know, we have all kinds of different muddy places in our lives. We have emotional things that we're going through that are muddy. We have relational things that we're going through. We have um, crushing circumstances that surprise us. We have financial struggles. There's just all kinds of different muddy places that we walk through. But I think one of the areas, and especially as a nurse that I really want to focus on in 2017, is our health and our wellness. Because I think some of us, especially as moms, are running ragged. We're taking care of everyone else. We're just trying to get through our schedules, get through each and every day. We're trying to just, you know, hang on, really. And we neglect self-care. We neglect our own health and our own wellness. And how can we take care of those we love if we don't take care of our own selves? And so I'm kind of brainstorming some ideas of what I can do to maybe one out of every four episodes each month. I can focus maybe on the mud that it is to get through our own you know, health and our own wellness and what that might look like and really how essential oils or Young Living as a company, because there's so much more than essential oils. I mean, it's led me into a journey about getting the toxins out of my home and the chemicals out of my home and, and just all the things that I'm putting on our skin and that I'm breathing in and it's just it's a whole thing and I so haven't wanted to be one of those people you know those green people that go crazy fanatic about things and so I don't want to scare you I'm not going to be turning all crazy wacko on you but the opportunity that I have discovered with Young Living as a company not only for maintaining health and wellness but really as a financial opportunity, really a generous opportunity for those of us who are struggling financially or for those of us who have ministries like this one that I really want a way to support um, 
it's really a phenomenal thing. And so uh, if if you want more information about Young Living and about it as a company or maybe a way for it to help you financially or for a way for it to bless you with health and wellness, I would love nothing more than to share with you. And as you partner with me in that, not only would you um, be able to get resources and a closed Facebook group and just support from me and from Edie and from whoever else, but you would be um, helping support this show by helping support this small business. And it would be just my purest joy for you if there's a way that this show has blessed you or that has encouraged you in your journey along the way. This would be a way that your family could be blessed and that you could help support the show by exploring the opportunity with Young Living. And so I would love to offer you some information. Of course, no pressure, no obligation ever. But it's a beautiful way that I've discovered that I think I could help support this show, that it could pay for itself, and that I could continue to bring these shows to you through 2017. So stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm going to give you more information about how you can get involved and how you can join the sisterhood and support this show through this way. I'm super excited. And if you already know, like you've been observing Young Living Essential Oils for a long time, and you are ready to take the plunge and join the oily sisterhood with Edie and myself, we would love nothing more than for you to join us. You can go to tinyurl.com forward slash Jackie Watkins, and that'll take you directly to the page where you can sign up for your very own wholesale membership account with Young Living and get started on your wellness journey with Edie and myself today. And so there'll be more information forthcoming. I'm super excited. Next week, our guest is going to be Ann Voskamp. I had an amazing conversation with Ann. In fact, it was... um, a sort of lengthy and I think I'll be splitting it up into a part one and a part two and so next week part one with Ann Voskamp I can't wait to meet you back here if you have any questions or need any information about the update that I gave or young living or essential oils or getting toxins and chemicals out of your home please send me an email Jackie at JackieWatkins.com I would love to interact with you and um, communicate with you or chat with you on the phone whatever it is I hope all your preparations for Christmas and time with your family are going well. And if it's a muddy place, if that is a muddy place, friend, you need to know you're not alone. And so I can't wait to meet you back here next week. We'll have Ann Voskamp here. And in the meanwhile, I want you to know whatever it is you're facing today, whatever mud that you've been through, whatever mud that lies ahead, I want you to know you are so very loved and you are never, ever alone. Have an amazing day.